this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Well, good morning, and thanks again for tuning in. Appreciate you joining me, and uh, look forward to studying with you. We're going to be thinking about grief this morning, uh, especially grief, specifically, I should say, grief over losing a loved one or dear friend and mourning over them. What does the Bible have to say about that? Is there any counsel? Is there any comfort we can take from God's Word, any instruction about how to grieve appropriately uh, when we are mourning the loss of a loved one? You know, somebody once said that death is life's final common denominator. Eventually it comes to to us all. It's a, it is a reality. James says our life is just a vapor. And, and more often than not, death comes to someone we love before we face it ourselves. And we experience it and the consequences uh, secondhand before, again, we, we confront it ourselves. Whether it's a mother, father, husband, wife, maybe a child in tragic circumstances or a dear friend. The result is always the same for those who are left behind. They have grief um, because they're mourning for their their loved one. If um, and if it's left unchecked, I think grief can drive people, uh, you know, to we see to take their own life as a as a, is 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 common, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, can stop people. Uh, people can stop caring about any and, and everything. Um, one example I think of that is in Second Samuel chapter twelve. If you want to be turning there to Second Samuel twelve, now you remember in this context historically, uh, this is after David's sin with Bathsheba and their adulterous affair, and Nathan the prophet has rebuked David, and 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 a, a child has been born as a result of their their affair, their adultery, and one of the punishments inflicted upon David is that he will um, lose this lose this child as as a result. And it says in verse eighteen that it happened on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for the for they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? And so even all the way back here in 2 Samuel 12 in David's time, people were afraid to tell David that his, that his baby had died because you know they, he was grieving while the, while the child was alive and was suffering and was sick. And they said, if we tell him he's dead, he might hurt himself bad. And so you know the grief, you know these turbulent emotions and a storm of emotions that we feel and, and while we're mourning, um, can cause us, can drive us to do irrational things if we let it. So there's, there is nothing wrong with experiencing grief. It's normal behavior for for someone who has lost a loved one, someone dear. And in fact, Scripture teaches that there is a time to mourn and grieve for the departed. In Ecclesiastes three and verse four, right? There's a time to to mourn. There's a time to rejoice. And we know that passage very well. It was turned into a bird song or a Bob Dylan song, I think, first before the birds sang it. At any rate, we can see in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 4 in the Bible that God recognizes there's a time to mourn. 
And didn't Jesus himself mourn over his friend Lazarus before raising from him from the dead? I've always thought that was interesting. So Jesus knows that this is going to happen. He's going to uh, raise Lazarus from the dead, even though Lazarus has been suffering. Uh, and he, he ultimately dies while Jesus is a few days away from seeing him. But Jesus is still grieved whenever he sees Mary and Martha, who were Lazarus' sisters, and the other people who are mourning. Uh, we remember that picture in John chapter 11. Well, if you want to drop down in John chapter 11, in verse 34, uh, Jesus says, Where have you laid him as all these uh, people were gathering around him? Verse 33, When Jesus therefore saw their weeping, the Jews who came also who were weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. So here's the Son of God who was, who was eternal. He's taken on the flesh and bone, and he is, he is deeply moved when he sees people weeping and grieving over the loss of their loved one. Moved in spirit, he was troubled, and Jesus said in verse 34, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then, of course, verse 35, very famous, Jesus wept. He was mourning. He was sharing in the grief of these other mourners, these people who loved Lazarus and were crying and, and grieving over him. That moves him. And so John tells us that Jesus' grief was so intense that upon seeing him weep with um, the, the, the family, upon uh, seeing the family grieving, he is he's weeping too. And when people see Jesus doing this, you continue reading in verse 36, so the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. So we can be sure that Jesus has felt the same anguish and bereavement as we have felt when we lose someone dear to us. He lost a dear friend. He was weeping along with his friend's family and his sisters. Uh, but like all emotions, like all emotions, it must be controlled and not allowed to overwhelm the heart. And so we want to take a look at other things, other teachings that the Scripture has to offer us and what it has to say about mourning our loved ones. And I want us first to think about the example of Job. You know, Job was a man who was well acquainted with grief. We know that all of his servants were killed or captured except for four who escaped to bring him the news of, of everything that had happened. You look at Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. We can read that, that account there and things only get only get worse. Not only does Job lose his his property, but he also loses all of his children. Can you imagine that? Losing all of your children? Let's go there to Job. Job chapter one. Job chapter one. And let's drop down to verse 18 in Job chapter 1. So while he was still speaking, that is the servant, while he was still speaking and, and telling of the disaster that struck and Job's property has been destroyed, it says an, uh, another servant also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their, in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, 
and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. So all of his children, he had seven sons and three daughters. So stop and think about that. All of his children on the same day, most of us can scarcely imagine such tragedies happening in our lives. Throughout our lives, but in rapid succession, they all happened for Job. Losing everything, including his children. And what was Job's reaction to that terrible loss? We just read it there in verses 20 through 22. He worshipped God. He fell on his face and he worshipped God. Now, we shouldn't conclude from that that Job was just unaffected or that he was just emotionally detached and, and didn't have any love for his children. No, he's deeply grieved, right? These signs... Um, that we see him doing here in verse 20. These are signs of, of grief. You know, his tearing of his clothes, the shaving of his head, all of these things are, are outward expressions of the, the tremendous sorrow and, and, and pain he was feeling. He was deeply saddened by his loss. But his grief did not give way to doubt or hatred toward God. I think that's an important takeaway from this passage, the end of chapter 1. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. So rather than dwell on the loss, he took the opportunity to acknowledge the goodness of God, and he fell to the ground and proclaimed, The Lord gave me these things, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now I know these things are very easy to see and to read and to talk about, and it's another matter altogether when we're confronted with these tragedies in our own lives and we're trying to have this this attitude and, and, and maintain worship. But we have to try, just as Job did. And just in just a few words, he acknowledged that gifts came from God, that God is sovereign over all, and we can be certain of Job's sincerity. That's the Spirit's testimony regarding this man's response. Through all of this, Job did not sin. He wasn't faking it. He wasn't trying to give God a false impression or anything. He genuinely meant this. And sometimes when we lose our loved ones, the news comes to us suddenly and we feel blindsided, as Job did. I mean, you have all these people showing up at the same time, more or less, and before even one of them can get done talking, somebody else comes with bad news. You know, there's times when terminal illness or inescapable circumstances uh, of that illness or something something similar to it, you know, we're able to anticipate death drawing near and we can prepare ourselves and we can prepare to say goodbye one last time. And maybe we do that a number of times before uh, death finally takes our loved one. But in either case, we can't choose to dwell upon the loss and focus on our own sadness and allow grief to overwhelm us. We have to see it as an opportunity to worship God and to thank Him for allowing us to share what little time we had with our loved ones. Acknowledge that good gifts come from Him. David is another example, I think, a good example for us in, in how to deal with with grief. He experienced much grief in his life. Early on, he distinguished himself uh, as a young man. Of course, we remember the story of David and Goliath. 
He'd certainly distinguished himself on that day in the valley of Elah when he puts his faith in God and God gives him the victory over Goliath. And he will distinguish himself as a military leader later in his life. And he was a dear friend of the king's own son, Saul's son, Jonathan. And there is something unique that is said about their relationship in 1 Samuel. So if you want to be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel 1, of course, 1 Samuel and, and 2 Samuel have much to say about the life of, of David and in his service to God and his worship to God, and of course his shortcomings too. The Bible is very transparent about that, that even though David was a man after God's own heart, he did sin, as all men do, in terrible ways. And we're going to be thinking about one of those instances again. We alluded to it at the beginning of our lesson, our study, but now we're going to think about it again after this example. Um, 1 Samuel 18, uh, though in verse 1, it says, It came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. That is David. So David was very close to this family, and it says specifically of his relationship to Jonathan, the king's son, that their souls were knit together, and Jonathan loved him as himself. And these were two men who were very close to one another, dear friends. And perhaps we felt that love for a dear friend also, as David and Jonathan had for one another. And their story is a is a, a very a unique story, a, a beautiful story. We see great gestures of their love for one another. Jonathan gives David the clothes off his back at one point, even his own armor. Uh, he pleads for David's life before his father, the king, because Saul ultimately turns out to be the villain who pursues David and wants to kill him and just goes to no end to, to try and see that happen. And Jonathan even risks, risks his own life to arrange uh, the signal that will ensure David's safety. And, you know, we can read about that in 1 Samuel 18 also, uh, and 19 and 20 as those things are unfolding. Uh, but sadly, sadly though, through all of this and all of their experiences together and their sacrifices for one another, Jonathan, Jonathan would die at the hands of his father's enemies, leaving David to mourn his death. So David was God's chosen king, and he would supersede Saul because of Saul's sin, and no one from Saul's house would reign on the throne anymore. And God foretold this, and and, and David knew that it was coming eventually, but he might not have known that Jonathan was going to die, and, and really Jonathan died as a result of his father's wickedness and poor decision. So I want us to think about, after the fact, David has some words in 2 Samuel uh, that he wrote in which he expresses his grief here. So if you want to go to the book of 2 Samuel now, 2 Samuel 1, David writes this song uh, that's a, a dirge for both Saul and Jonathan, really. But uh, he has something specific that he says about Jonathan in verse 26 as he's mourning the loss of Jonathan. He says, I am distressed for you. My brother Jonathan, you have been very pleasant to me, and your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. So David knew that his friend was one of a kind, that Jonathan would never be replaced. 
And this is just this is just one verse from this lament that that I'm looking at this morning. You can go back and read uh, the rest of it later. But um, that's a powerful statement. This is described as a dirge. David is is described as chanting for for Jonathan. And so this is an outlet. I think it's important for us to find an outlet for our grief as well. And we don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be that we're eulogizing um, um, and, and honoring our friends in, in song or prose as David is. We don't have to write a poem or anything like that if that makes us uncomfortable. But we can express our grief in other ways, to our family or to God in prayer as Job did. You know, in our day and time, we usually hold ceremonies following the death of a loved one. That may include a visitation for a family or a funeral service and perhaps even a graveside service uh, sometimes. And all these, I think, are opportunities. All these circumstances are opportunities to express our grief as David did in this memorial. This is what this is. It's a memorial, uh, if you will, for, for Saul and Jonathan. And David is eulogizing Jonathan here and recalling Jonathan's character and what Jonathan was to him. And in David's song, I think it's I think it's notable that we don't see him dwelling on and pining for the past. That's not where his focus is, but rather he is he is remembering and celebrating the love of his friend, his dear friend Jonathan. And I think we also have to choose to cherish and share the memories we have of loved ones. You know, death can take all things away. But it cannot rob us of precious memories. David still had those. And he's recalling them as he's memorializing his his friend Jonathan. I think David serves as another example again, later in life, after he's been king for several years. Uh, he, he makes a mistake and he sins with uh, the woman Bathsheba, who was the wife of another man. And as a result of their adulterous affair, uh, a child is born, his infant son, who would eventually die. And that's what we were looking at earlier over in 2 Samuel 12. So if you want to go back to 2 Samuel 12 again, and let's notice a a couple of other things that are said in verses 16 and, and, and 17. So, you know, if there was ever a time... If there was ever a time when words seemed too weak and fruitless to capture the heartache and agony of the human experience, it would be the death of an innocent child. This baby is only a few weeks old, and and sadly, as a result of sin, death comes into the world in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and in David's case, it was his own sin that led to directly to this to his son's death. And so one can only imagine how that would just compound the grief and distress and sorrow that David must have felt. And scripture offers a very sad picture to us. In in 2 Samuel 12 verses 16 and 17, David therefore inquired of God for the child. So David's praying for the child and David fasted and he went and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and he would not eat food with them. So here is a man who is deeply grieved, who is fasting, who is not eating, who is constantly praying to God. He has his face in the dirt. He's laying on the ground all night long, 
And David would continue to do this for seven days until his suffering infant son would die and pass from this life. But then something remarkable happens. Like Job, David goes straightway to worship. To worship God, as Job did. And it is here, at this part of the story, we find hope and peace of mind. Think about David's response. If you want to drop down to verse 22, still in 2 Samuel 12, but look at verses 22 and 23. So after um, what we read earlier where the men were afraid to, to go and tell David that the child is dead because they were afraid that he would do himself harm, it says in verse 19, let's back up there, that when David saw this, that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. And so David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And then he came to his own house, where he requested, and they set food before him, and he ate. And a servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done while the child was alive? You fasted and wept, but... When the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me. The child may live. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. See, it was painful and heartrending for David to lose his son. But he still knew that there was hope in seeing him again. And he worships God, and he goes to the house of the Lord. He goes to the temple, and he's worshiping there. And David was certain, as sad as this loss was, David was certain that his infant son was with God, and he resolved to go to him. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 tells us, that when the, the body dies, the spirit returns to the Lord who gave it, to God who gave it. And David is saying, I know where he is. And he's not going to come back. I can't bring him back. But I can resolve to go to him. So though this was difficult and agonizing for David, as it, as it will be for us, when we maybe lose uh, a child, uh, an innocent child, we can have the same resolve. We can mourn for them and we can miss them, but we can take comfort in knowing that they are with God. And we may yet see them again if we are faithful to the Lord. You see, children who who die innocent, they don't go to purgatory, they don't go to to hell, as some some denominations teach, I know. But that's unbiblical. Scripture teaches that children are innocent, and David understood where his son had gone. You know, if if the child was being punished in eternity, I mean, would David, do you think David would really say, I'm going to go to him, I want to go to him, that he was going to jockey for a position in hell for the rest of his life? Of course not. David was a man after God's own heart. And so he wanted to go and be with God and, and to see his son again. 
And I think that that's a worthy, imitatable attitude that we can have, especially when it comes to the loss of their child. And that should motivate us, too, to live faithful lives, to be obedient to God so that we can have the hope of heaven, to share his gospel with others. Children may not be accountable and they may be innocent, but we all reach an age at some point where we are accountable and we know the difference between right and wrong. And God will hold us accountable for that. And so if we are to have this hope that David had, we need to live and walk accordingly and serve God. So the reality of death and knowing that death will come to us all and to all those that we love should motivate us, I think, to, to, serve, to serve God, to fear Him, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. He'll also say in that same chapter, in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 10, if you want to be turning there, 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 10, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then verse 11 that I just cited, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So Paul says this is a reality for all of us. We're all going to stand eventually before the judgment seat of Christ. And that should inspire this reverence for God, this fear of God to serve him. There are many emotional and spiritual challenges that will come when we lose someone we love. But there will be a clarity that comes after their death as well, in which we discover just how important they were to us. And as David did with Jonathan, and all the while we're trying to adapt to a life without the one that we have loved so much and that we have confided in, that we've maybe relied upon to some degree, But again, I think all those feelings and emotions and that understanding and that perspective can motivate us to be all the more diligent, to to teach our loved ones the truth, to teach our friends the truth and our family the truth of Christ, and to live that truth ourselves and to strive to remain faithful ourselves so that someday we can all be reunited with those dearest to us on the day of judgment that Paul speaks of here so that when any of us stands before the judgment seat of Christ, We can have confidence that we stand in His grace, that we have been faithful to Him, and so He will remain faithful to His promises. Again, I appreciate you tuning in this morning. We're going to leave it right there, and I hope that uh, this has been a beneficial study for you. It certainly has for me to revisit these things and and think about how we mourn and, and appropriately grieving over the loss of loved ones and what the Bible has to say about that. Let's do so in a godly way. Let's never blame God, but maybe even use it as an opportunity to worship Him as Job and David did. And those great examples that we have from the Scripture. There is hope, but there is only hope. There's only hope for those who are in Christ. Romans 8 and verse 1, If anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you have that hope? If you have any questions or you want to discuss these things further, 
Hope you'll visit our website, leonvalleychurch.org. There's other resources there that may be helpful to you. Or you can contact us directly. There's some contact information on our website. Our email address is leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to take advantage of any of those things. Contact us if that's your desire. If you want to study these things further, love love to do that. Love to have that opportunity um, with you. So please, uh, please take advantage of that. Look forward to studying with you again next week. Tune in here at the same time, Sunday morning, 1030 a.m. And we'll look, take another look at God's Word and see what His will is for us. Again, I thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.